Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. This is the Tom Hartman Program. So this is pretty amazing. Over at Democratic Underground, they caught this thing and put it up as their graphic for the day. I didn't even see the story, but it, their, their headline is, Headline you knew you'd see eventually, Trump sues orphanage. Yes, it's true. There's a hundred-year-old orphanage down in Texas, along the border with Mexico, in South Texas, that Donald Trump is suing because he wants them to go out of business so that he can run his wall right through their yard. Honest to God. This is from Newsweek. The Trump administration is suing an orphanage in South Texas in order to exercise its eminent domain powers and obtain temporary access to the property to plan for construction along the border with Mexico. In return for a year-long grant of access to the land known as an easement, The federal government says it will pay the Sacred Heart Children's Home of Laredo, Texas, $100 as just compensation. There were 40 children living at the orphanage as of last fall. Sacred Heart has been in operation for over 100 years. This is just incredible. I mean, it shouldn't surprise us, but it's just just incredible. The Ohio government, Mike DeWine's government, uh, has now is now inviting this. uh, There's a great piece about this over at The Intercept. In fact, I think it was the top story today. Um, The state is inviting employers to report employees who don't show up for work out of concern about the coronavirus to report them for possible unemployment fraud. There's a new form on the Ohio Department of Job and Family Services website for employers to confidentially report employees, quote, who quit or refuse work when it is available due to COVID-19. And then they note, under Ohio law, individuals can't receive unemployment benefits if they can work but refuse job offers or quit their job, quote, without good cause. So apparently Ohio has decided, Mike DeWine, the Republicans who control Ohio, have decided that being afraid of dying or getting an illness that could cause your children or your parents or your grandparents to die, that's not good cause. Nope, that's not good cause. Sorry, tough luck. Mind-boggling. On the line with us is Professor Richard Wolff, the economist, co-founder of democracyatwork.info, author of numerous books, his latest, Understanding Socialism, 
His other website is rdwolf2fs.com. You can tweet him at profwolf with two Fs. Professor Wolf, welcome back. I was absolutely astonished to see this this piece over at um, uh, Pam and Russ Martin's site. They talk about economics a lot. Sometimes they get into some weird right-wing stuff, but this seemed pretty straight up. Most Americans, they write, likely assume that Jerome Powell, the chairman of the Federal Reserve, is an economist, like the prior chairs of the Fed over the past 40 years. But he's not. Powell is a former investment banker at the Wall Street firm Dillon Reed, former partner at the controversial private equity and leveraged buyout firm the Carlyle Group, which has spent over a billion dollars just in the past 10 years lobbying the federal government for break, tax breaks and loopholes and things, a former lawyer at Davis Polk, this big law firm that advised the government and the Treasury in 2008 on the Wall Street bailout, and the vice chair for supervision at the Fed, the guy who is in charge of oversight, who works under Powell, his name is Randall Quarles, um, and he's in charge of supervising the largest and most dangerous Wall Street bank and holding companies in the U.S. He also worked at Davis Polk and the Carlyle Group. What the hell is going on in the Fed? Well, I think what you're seeing is throwing away the veneer. The, it wasn't very thick to begin with. The veneer that the Federal Reserve is either independent of the rest of the government or independent of the big banks that it does most of its business with. Other governments have thought it was necessary, as you say, to have professors of economics like Ben Bernanke or Janet Yellen in that position. They don't bother with the veneer anymore. It's a bit of a hallmark, I think, of Mr. Trump. You put the fox in to guard the hen house, and you don't disguise the fox as though he were anything other than a fox. Powell, Quarles, people like that have spent their entire lives working in the industry they are now supposed to police. It's ridiculous. The mere appearance of conflict of interest, if you took it seriously, would have meant such names could not have been considered. But we're now supposed to believe that because they, quote unquote, know the business, they're the right people to police the business. It is crazy, uh, but it's just one more step in a government becoming lock, stock and barrel, one with the people who sit at the top of the economic pyramid. In previous conversations, Professor Wolf, you and I have talked about how the Fed is doing things that may go well beyond its charter, beyond its mandate, but beyond its charter itself, beyond what it's legally authorized to do. He has stated that he's willing to buy equities. I'm pretty sure that's not in his charter. And, And I'm surprised, frankly, that they've been able to buy corporate bonds. I thought that government bonds was the limit of their powers. Do you think that this, let's say questionable, because I can't assert that it's illegal, behavior by the Fed, which has served to prop up the biggest corporations in America and actually to enrich them now. The Fed has passed out $10 trillion, $6 trillion, excuse me, in loans to giant corporations by buying their bonds from, you know, from Ford on the list goes. A, is it possible that the reason why the Fed is doing this, arguably for the first time in its history, I suppose after 2009, there was a little bit of this under Janet Yellen, but is it possible that it's doing this because of the influence of people like Mr. Powell, former banksters, major multimillionaire banksters, getting inside the Fed and influencing its policies, other members of the Fed Board of Governors, number one. And number two, is this going to lead to a disaster? I mean, it reminds me of the massive deregulation in 1927, 1928, the two successive Republican administrations. 
going back to Harding, frankly, refusing to regulate the banks and the brokerage houses and the whole um, lending industry that was helping stockbrokers buy things on margin. Are we seeing like a recap or a reboot of that same thing? I think so. I think what you're seeing, I would put it slightly differently, but you're basically right. These are people who spent their lifetime manipulating the stock market. They did it as lawyers advising the clients that were doing it. And then when they became parts of entities like the Carlyle Group, then they began doing it themselves. That's who they are. That's where they come from. So, yes, they would be the ones to take the Federal Reserve beyond its traditional business, which is dealing in the government securities and nothing else, and now going to basically prop up uh, corporate America by buying those bonds, and the next step will be to buy the equities. Look, make no mistake, the other reason is also valid. We're in a capitalist system that is in very, very deep doo-doo. This is the third crisis in the 21st century, the dot-com in 2000, the subprime mortgage in 28, and now the third one, the corona one, the stock market each time taking a major hit, risking a, a general collapse. In comes the cavalry, i.e. the United States Treasury, and now the Federal Reserve, basically throwing unspeakable amounts of money wherever and however needed. If the Federal Reserve now, with Powell, takes that last step and starts buying securities, and by the way, there's quite a bit of speculation in Wall Street that they did that quietly and off the record uh, back in 2008 and 9. They were so scared. So for all we know, they may have already done it. We don't know. Um, but if they move in that direction, then you will see the government directly propping up the stock market, using printed money to keep the prices of stocks high, and therefore further disconnecting the small number of people who own significant amounts of stock from everybody else. In short, so, this is the recipe for going even further into the inequality of this society than we already are with all well, the destabilizing it, that comes from that. It seems to me like what's going on here is that Powell has figured out a way to rig the economy, or at least that portion of the economy that's of interest and value to the, to the investor class, to protect the investor class, while average working Americans and poor working Americans, eh, screw them. You know, do I have that right? Absolutely. I mean, look, there was no murmur, no murmur of the trillions of dollars that had now to be spent giving it to the top, and then hoping it trickles down in the classic way. Meanwhile, when it came to how much money you give to the average person, there were big worries about the government's debt can't be more than $1,200, which doesn't even pay you a month's rent. They're now squabbling over the food stamps to help the people who are hungry. Absolutely. What they're doing is saying... Our system doesn't work. It goes to the brink three times in this century, and we're going to bail them out to make them whole, and we're going to stop when we're done with that because we don't really have to take care of anybody else. They're either politically disorganized or split or passive, and they're not going to do anything, so we're going to take care of ourselves. And Powell and Quarles and people like that, that's who they are. That's what they do. So what's the end game? I'm afraid that the end game is when this is, gets to the point where things are so bad that even this kind of policy doesn't work. When people are so frightened about the underlying weakness 
that nothing they do will make people buy those stocks or hold them. That's a very, very dangerous risk looming. Yeah, 1929, Redux. Professor Richard Wolf, TheDemocracyWork.info, his latest book, Understanding Socialism. Thank you, Dr. Wolf. Thank you, Tom. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. You are listening to the program where despair is not an option. Join us. Get out there. Get active. So Donald Trump had said earlier that his uh, red line... He is so fond of this kind of imagery, right? It's a red line. Anyway, that his red line to get stimulus back, you know, more money to the states and to the municipalities and, well, actually any money. They they haven't sent any money at all so far. And you've got states just in an absolute crisis was the cutting Social Security, essentially, you know, cutting the payroll tax so that you're kneecapping the cash flow into Social Security, which is already being kneecapped by the fact that 20 percent of us are unemployed right now. And many more are not drawing paychecks, at least over the short term and probably over the long term. So Trump is saying that he wants that. Mitch McConnell's largely ignoring that. But instead, what Mitch McConnell and oh, and Trump wants, you know, unlimited deductions for uh, travel and entertainment. Uh, gee, what uh, somebody who owns a hotel might be concerned about that. But what Mitch McConnell wants is what, you know, the billionaires, the right wing billionaires want which is absolute immunity for their companies and not just from screwing up with regard to the covid virus. I mean, obviously, the meatpacking plants, their CEOs want it so that, you know, their employees can't sue them if they force them back to work. You had I believe it was Kim Reynolds in um, in uh, whichever state that was. Was it Iowa? In any case, a day or so ago saying, if you choose not to go back to work now that we've reopened the state because you're afraid of getting the virus, you're going to lose your unemployment benefits, period, full stop. If your choice is, you know, your money or your life, most people are going to take their life. But then, you know, they've got no money. So what do you do? You sue. And Mitch McConnell wants to pass a law saying you can't do that. You can't sue your employer for messing with you or your life or causing, you know, any great problems. But this would not just be for the COVID virus. You know, McConnell wants to make it basically universal. So if your employer has a dangerous workplace and you get injured, you can't sue. So if your employer you know, is taking advantage of you somehow, you can't sue. I mean, basically, this is going to turn into, you know, the employer is emperor, which is something we kind of backed away from in the 1930s. But ever since Reaganism, you know, we've been pushing closer and closer toward. So that's what I'm noticing. Judd Legum's newsletter, Popular Information, Today's edition is called The Ugly Truth, and boy, is it ugly. He's uh, going into this uh, whistleblower report by Dr. Rick Bright in charge at HHS of developing vaccines, like for the coronavirus. He was originally in charge of developing flu vaccines. He has decades of experience. He's a real expert on this stuff. His official job title was, quote, to prepare the nation for influenza pandemics and coordinating production, acquisition, and delivery of medical countermeasures during a pandemic response. He was the guy at the center, right? And he got fired. Trump fired him and he filed a whistleblower report. One of the recurring characters is a guy named John Clarici, C-L-E-R-I-C-I. He's a a consultant with the pharmaceutical industry who was uh, friends with Dr. Robert Kadlik, who was Bright's boss. 
And Cadillac kept telling Bright, hey, toss some money to this guy, right? Basically, I mean, when Bright refused to cede to McManus's demands to continue with the contract, this is this company that Clarice was handing stuff off to on behalf of uh, Robert Cadillac and Trump's son-in-law, Jared Kushner. And when Bright refused to go along with this, McManus directly appealed to Cadillac and uh, Cadillac's chief of staff, Christopher Meekins, a guy who has no technical or scientific background whatsoever, then began advocating, quotes, for the merits of the science behind this contract. Right. And then Cadillac and Meekins instructed Dr. Bright to transfer $40 million. This is how Trump, you know, this is what he's done his whole entire life. Right? You buy things from your friends, you freeze out your enemies, but you don't do that with government. With government, you get the lowest price possible for the best product. But that's not what Trump is doing. And what they did was this company that this consultant was close to, who was a buddy of Jared Kushner's, this company sold a product called Osimeltavir, an antiviral drug, to which the flu virus, it's, it's to stop the flu, to which the flu virus had recently mutated in a way that it, this drug no longer worked. But nonetheless, these two guys in HHS, Cadillac and Meekins, instructed Dr. Bright to buy $40 million worth of this worthless product from this guy because he was a friend of Kushner's or some relationship with Kushner. Cadillac diverted money from Bright's already strained budget to pay this company when Bright objected Cadillac told him he had no choice in the matter. And it just goes on through all the grody details. You can read the whole thing over at popular.info, but it's nuts. And then, did you recall signing up to be part of Trump's army? One of his soldiers who's going to fight the coronavirus and have to maybe die? I don't think so. Bree Newsom Bass is tweeting, uh, the USA will not recover from the Trump administration, the COVID-19 outbreak, and its reverberating disasters. What emerges after is not certain, but anyone thinking that there will be a return to normal is not grasping the magnitude of this situation. I have been saying this for some time now. We are sliding into a Great Depression, or something analogous to the Great Depression, perhaps even worse than the Great Depression, at least over the short term. And the problem is that these things take on a life of their own. No matter how much money the Fed is trying to pour into this thing, I don't think it's going to make any difference. And speaking of the Fed, this is incredible. Pam and Russ Martins over at WallStreetOnParade.com. Most Americans likely assume that Jerome Powell, the chairman of the Federal Reserve, is an economist. You know, like over the last 40 years, every single head of the Fed. Well, he's not. Powell is a former investment banker at the Wall Street firm Dylan Reed. He's a former partner in the Carlyle Group, and, you know, which has spent over a billion dollars over the past 10 years lobbying the federal government. And he's a former lawyer at Davis Polk, you know, the big law firm that played a key role advising the government and Treasury in the 2008 Wall Street bailout. Seriously. And then the vice chair for supervision at the Fed, Randall Quarles, has basically the same background. Powell and the guy in charge of oversight are both investment bankers and hedge fund guys. I mean, this is crazy. And in fact, this guy Quarles also worked at Davis Polk and the Carlisle Group. So now you've got a hostile takeover, a friendly takeover, whatever you call it, of the Fed by Powell and Quarles. And in the midst of this, he's taking $500 billion that Congress appropriated to give to the Fed that the Fed could then leverage. 
And the Fed is taking that money and turning it into $5 trillion in low to no interest loans to some of the biggest corporations in America, hedge funds, billionaires, banks, all these guys that Jerome Powell used to work for. It's mind-boggling. It's absolutely mind-boggling. What do you think things are going to look like a year from now or in November is perhaps the more critical question. I think we're going to be in ruins. I think Trump has turned America into a smoking ruin. He mentioned American carnage in his first inaugural, in his inaugural address. He's giving it to us. So do you think we're going to have American carnage or do you support Trump? Do you think that everything's going to turn out just fine? Thank you very much. Terry in Rochester, Washington. Hey, Terry, thanks for watching Free Speech TV. What's on your mind today? Like you, I was wondering why these people, all these people, 40 percent, 35, don't see that they're cheering on their own oppressors and making life dangerous for them and their children. And why don't they see it like you? You probably asked that question. That is almost always the nature of cults, Terry. Well, I know. Let me get into it a little here, okay? Okay. So I had to delve back into my hobby of the past, which was Braden Young and all those guys, you know. Carl Young? And, uh, yeah, Carl J.U.N., the German, the uh, father of mm-hmm. psychoanalytical theory, okay? I fell upon one of his. It's called The Persona of Shadow Individuation and the Self, okay? And it's how... People that never got past their persona, and they think that's real. They think that's them, okay? That's their content. And anything that the ego lets in from the unconscious is twisted. doesn't come out like it's supposed to because it goes, has to go through that persona or that mask. These people actually, that's their content. They think it's real. And Young himself said in the 30s, they're easily susceptible to authoritarian rule, okay? Hmm. And if you look at that, it's, it's a 15-minute tutorial by it's the Academy Ideas. I think you'll get the nuts and bolts, the mechanics of why these people are easily duped, okay? That's all I wanted to say. And okay, well, you said it well, deeper. Terry. Yeah, thank you very much. April in Santa Monica, California, what's on your mind today? Thank you for watching Free Speech TV. Oh, no, yes, and thank you, Tom, for everything that you do. So I called last week because I've been racking my brain trying to figure out what had happened that allowed us to elect Donald Trump as president in the first place. We all know that if we didn't have the Electoral College, he would not be president. If it were the law of the land that anyone running for president show their taxes, he would not be president. And I now realize that it's not a law that you have to have White House briefings because, you know, you can just do that. I am wondering, what would we have to do? I don't know if it would have to be an amendment or to make it so that whoever is the president of the United States, whenever they address the citizenry, they are considered under oath. And because this person that we have in the presidency now, he, he I, I think someone that they've clean with the fact that he doesn't like to be under oath. He doesn't sue people. He doesn't actually go after anyone because he runs the risk of perjuring himself all the time. What could we do? To, because I think that makes sense, that the United States president should be considered under oath when they address the people. That's a great question, April. The question presumes, respectfully, 
that mm-hmm. it's a binary choice. It's all or nothing. Either the president can basically tell as many lies as he wants, or there is some sort of police agency that determines mm-hmm. that the president has lied and somehow punishes him or corrects him publicly or whatever that may be. Um, I'd say that there's a third option, and that's called congressional oversight, and that's what the framers of the Constitution had in mind. Um, and that's exactly what Trump has been denying us. And, you know, for example, during his impeachment hearings, not one single document, not one single witness came out of the White House. And this was all about what happened in the White House. Um, I think it would have been much more damning if he had uh, done what Richard Nixon did, for example, or what Bill Clinton did. Bill Clinton Mm -hmm. turned over 18 cases, as I recall, of, you know, hundreds of thousands of documents, maybe millions of documents to Congress, as did Nixon, you know, and ultimately even the White House tapes. So congressional oversight has been crippled by this president and it has not been restored by the Supreme Court. And that's the mechanism right now, given that we have a Supreme Court that has, you know, exercises judicial review. And that's one of the cases that they're going to be hearing this week is what happens when Congress subpoenas stuff from the White House or maybe in this term, maybe over the next couple of weeks. What you know, does Congress actually have the power to force the president to give them things? And if so, how do they exercise that power? What are they, you know, what, you know, who, who yeah, goes yeah, into the White House and grabs the files? Yeah, well, and that's, that's what's also really confusing to me, because if you break the law, you break the law. And the, the rest of us, we can't just ignore subpoenas. And I know they do have a jail there, right? They do. They can take people and put them. They did have. have. Some, yeah, they did. Okay. They did have. The old, the old jail in the basement of the, uh, of the Capitol building hasn't been used since the 1830s. And since mm-hmm. the 1860s, it, it's where they keep the hearse that Lincoln was buried in. Yeah, well, whatever needs to happen, because we need to have some way of holding him accountable, and we don't. I agree. And and that's not his fault. Yeah, no, well, it's his fault that he's blocking it, but he's also exposing this terrible weakness, which you've narrowed in on, and that's brilliant, April. Thank you very much. And, And I think that the solution is congressional oversight. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman, with two N's, or enter the code Hartman, with two N's, before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity, and what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance, so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. 
Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Morris in Long Beach, California. Hey, Morris, what's on your mind today? Good morning, Professor. Listen, uh, did you hear what Stephen Moore had to say over the weekend? I was watching the BBC, and he was talking. uh, They were doing an interview with him via satellite, and a gentleman from, uh, I think his name was Ping, from China. And you're not going to believe this. Mr. Moore, who works for uh, President Trump, he said that China owes the United States Write this down. Reparations. I mean, if right, I had a trillion dollars, right? I couldn't believe it. I said, "You gonna ask somebody for some prep, for some reparations?" I said, "You know what? If I was a gentleman <laughs> from China, I would say, you know what? China gonna pay the United States some reparations. We gonna pay the U.S. some reparations when the U.S. pays the Native Americans reparations for the genocides, when the U.S. pays blacks reparations for their labor, when the U.S. pays the Hispanics for the Southwest states they lost, when they get paid their reparations, we will pay you your reparations. I mean, but uh, if, if you didn't see it, if you didn't see it, it just you would scratch your head and say, is this Malcolm X talking or Stephen Moore? Yeah. All right, thank you. <laughs> That is brilliant, Morris. Michael in Bronx, New York. Hey, Michael, what's on your mind today? You know, I had to call him because, first off, when you mentioned Brian Kemp, he lost the, even the slightest opportunity of redemption when Trump blasted him for opening up to, um, the state. He should have said, well, Mr. Trump, this is what you've been asking for, telling people to liberate and so forth and so on. But no, he didn't do that. So the cover. No, but he doesn't want to upset Trump. If he upsets Trump, Trump will stop sending him masks and things. Yeah, but look at what's happened thus far. You might recall one of the times I've spoken with you. As opposition to what people keep saying, oh, don't go for impeachment, don't go for the 25th Amendment, let's just throw them out in November 2020. You might remember I mentioned at the time that we have a long wait till November 2020, and a lot can happen from now and then that how dangerous Trump is and how many innocent lives are perishing because of him. 
Now, with all the gun violence and gun massacres that have occurred, and now this COVID-19, we're looking at thousands and thousands of lost lives, which includes people from his base, which I like to call now his cult. And could we not also look at the possibility of those that said, oh, let's vote him out in 2020. Some of them are no longer around to vote him out. So... Do you think I hit the nail on the head as to exigent circumstances that we really need to take action then and not wait till 2020? Yeah, the problem is, what is the action, Michael? We tried impeaching him, and you've got a bunch of Republicans in the Senate who are up for re-election this year who all said, oh, no, we want to keep him where he is. The only one who said, yeah, maybe we should impeach him was Mitt Romney, and Mitt Romney is not up for re-election even. So you can't even vote for him as opposed to against him. But, you know, I get your point, Michael. It's just that, you know, we're out of options. Katie in Commerce City, Colorado. Hey, Katie, what's on your mind today? How could Trump be held accountable for the crimes he committed before office, during office, and after office? Would mm-hmm. there be a way to get a non-biased jury? Or would a military tribunal be more likely for him to go and be held accountable? And why haven't presidents been held accountable for their illegal behaviors? By and large, you know, starting with Nixon, the position of our presidents, well, starting with Jerry Ford, I guess would be the way to say it, has been, we're going to forgive and we're going to forget, we're going to put it behind us and we're going to move forward. So Nixon created crimes, he was accepting bribes, he was, I mean, he was doing all kinds of stuff that was worthy of impeachment, way beyond Watergate. Jerry Ford said, we're just going to pardon him for all this stuff and, you know, cut him a pass. Then Ronald Reagan came along, committed treason to get into office, the president of Iran, Abdullah Bani Sadr. He was the president of Iran when Reagan was sworn into office. In the Christian Science Monitor pointed out in an interview there, that they had cut a deal, the government of Iran had cut a deal with Reagan to uh, hold the hostages until after the election in order to prevent Jimmy Carter from getting uh, reelected and put Reagan in the White House. And in exchange for that, Reagan was going to sell them weapons, which he did for the next several years until he got busted for it. That was the Iran part of Iran-Contra. So, you know, Reagan committed those crimes. In 1992, Lawrence Walsh, the prosecutor, was about to prosecute George Herbert Walker Bush Reagan was kind of out of his reach at that point because he was into full-blown dementia and, you know, could not have even shown up at a trial. But they were going to go after George W. Bush, and, and he had subpoenaed some of Bush's records. And so Bush turned to his attorney general, Bill Barr. Yes, the same guy. Yeah. He was Bush's attorney general in 92. And this is the Christmas Eve massacre. This was December 24th, 1992. Go look at the New York Times front page for that day. It's mind-boggling. Basically, this massive cover-up of Iran-Contra. So we covered that up. Bill Clinton came into office and said, I'm going to look forward not to the past, which I think was a huge mistake. I don't see any specific crimes that Bill Clinton committed. But then George W. Bush comes into office, and he and Dick Cheney lied us into two wars aggressively, intentionally lied us into two wars, got rich and fat off the federal dole. Halliburton was, you know, because Dick Cheney had bought Dresser Industries, which had a huge asbestos liability, Halliburton was on the verge of bankruptcy when Dick Cheney became vice president. And suddenly Halliburton is getting tens of billions of dollars in no-bid contracts. Some of them they didn't even have to ask for. Here, Halliburton, we'd like to give you some money. And Dick Cheney is worth, you know, probably hundreds of millions of dollars now as a result of his Halliburton stock. Not to mention the torture facilities and the black sites and the CIA and all this stuff. And uh, Gina Haspel destroying the tapes of the tortures. And she's now the director of the CIA again. Barack Obama said, we're not going to look into those crimes. 
And now you've got Donald Trump committing crimes. And odds are, if Joe Biden becomes the next president, he's going to say, I'm not going to you know, go back. I don't know why Democratic presidents are unwilling to prosecute Republican criminals. I don't, honest to God, don't know why, Katie. I think they think that it's more important to let the country heal and come together or something like that. But we've had literally crimes committed by Republicans in the White House going back to the 60s. Well, the late 60s, 68. And it's got to end. Frank in Detroit, Michigan. Hey, Frank, what's on your mind today? Hey, how's it going, Tom? You make me proud to be from Michigan, man. Thank you. Uh, I'm really worried. I think that, you know, a lot of us are thinking of, of how we are going to prevent a slide into fascism. I think we're already there. And the task is how to get it back. And I don't yep. want to use that term, how taking our country back, but that, it, it is what it is. And uh, here in Michigan, man, you know, I have listened to you either over the Internet or through cable. The vast majority of people that I talk to here in Michigan, they have no idea what free speech they They are completely clueless with respect to that. It's a, it, it's free speech TV needs to invest some resources in outreach, frankly. I've, I've been begging them to do that for over a decade, and it's falling on deaf ears. But anyway, well, it's not you, their Frank. fault either, though, but you have to have a receptive no, audience, and we I'm don't have that. It is, and it, yeah, it troubles me. It troubles me a great deal because we don't seem to be nearly as concerned about what's going on with respect to our government than uh, as we should be. It's not an answer. It's more of a question, but uh, I'm looking for answers, too. Yes. And I just finished writing The Hidden History of Oligarchy, which will be out next fall. And, you know, the premise of the book is basically that we have been an oligarchic. The oligarchy arose in the 1980s with the Reagan administration. And basically, if you look at Gillens and Page, for example, their study out of Northwestern in Princeton, or maybe it was Columbia, they found that since roughly 83, 84, since the mid 80s, the will of the people is no longer translated into legislative, uh, into laws. It's the will of the top 5% broadly and the top 1% certainly. And that's the definition of oligarchy. And now what we're watching, and I think we've been watching this since 9-11, slowly happening, and now it's happening much more rapidly, is that oligarchy turning into tyranny. And that concerns me too tremendously. Frank, i got to move along, but thank you. Thanks for raising a really important issue. David in Dallas, Texas. Hey, David, what's on your mind today? So I'm just kind of curious, you know, unemployment is going sky high. And I'm really wondering how can we reach out to all those people because, you know, they're going to be very susceptible to racism and xenophobia. But how can you reach out to them? How can you find them? Try to get them more towards a progressive path. Yeah. Uh, I think you point out that the last time one of these economic disasters happened on the Republican watch of Herbert Hoover, uh, what got us out of it was the Democratic President Franklin Roosevelt, and he did it with you know massive federal spending, large federal programs, and we can do that again, and you know we can put people back to work, and that's Green New Deal may be too inflammatory a phrase to use if they're regular viewers of Fox or listen to Right Wing Hate Radio, but but essentially you know putting together rebuilding our infrastructure, rebuilding our schools, rebuilding our nation in a way that is not as intensive in its use of carbon. I mean, you know, it's, it's straightforward stuff. But the thing that I'm expecting, uh, to your point, David, 
is that as more and more people become unemployed and they're looking for work, employers and right-wing politicians are going to be doing two things. Number one, they're going to be talking about the need to drive down wages. But they will do this the way that Republicans have typically done this. Reagan did it a lot by instead pointing at union workers who are making a good paycheck and saying, how dare those people who are, you know, uh, plumbers or police officers or whatever. They, typically, the Republicans don't go after cops. But how dare those union workers be making a decent wage? You're not making a decent wage. You should be pissed off at them. So they'll try to divide us from each other. And then they'll go on to say, oh, and by the way, now that you're making a low wage, you're competing with brown people who are coming from south of the border and with black people who are yeah. willing to work for less, blah de blah you know, you know tr- the racism card. I've, I've been hearing this kind of racist crap from Republicans literally my whole entire life. And I'm expecting, you know, yeah. there hasn't been so much of it in the media recently, but I'm expecting it's going to explode as we get closer to the election, because just like George Herbert Walker Bush pulled the racism card out at the last minute with his Willie Horton ads against Dukakis back in... Uh, 88, you're going to see the exact same thing happen, in my opinion. You're going to see the exact same thing happen this fall. So, you know, I think the thing that we need to do is just point out this is this is an old game, David. This is a game we know well. And, uh, you know, if you fall for it, you're a sucker. David, thank you for the call. It's a great one. Uh, Philip in Waukesha, Wisconsin, listening on WWRD. Uh, hey, Philip, what's up? My prediction is that you're kind of talking about it a little bit, that as long as Trump is in power, and that includes even if we we take we beat him in November, we still have another month where he's in power. I hate to say this, but nothing's going to change with Corona because his administration and the Republican Party are totally incompetent, barring a miracle cure. That's the only thing yeah. that's going to save us. Uh, it's only going to get worse until we get him out of office. And the other thing that I would I would have as a caveat that uh, we talk a lot about Donald Trump this and Donald Trump that. I think the national narrative for the Democratic Party is whenever we mention Trump, we need to mention Mitch McConnell in the same breath. It's got to be Trump McConnell or McConnell Trump because McConnell is as much to blame for this as Trump because Mitch is the enabler. He is the one that's oh, more so. McConnell's the smart every one. Every single thing that he's doing. Yeah. No, absolutely. And, and McConnell is the smart one. He's the one who's guiding the ship. And, you know, Trump is just kind of bumbling along and, and lurching from impulse to impulse. But, yeah, I, I am absolutely with you. Philip, thank you for the call. Bob in Wheeling, Illinois. Hey, Bob, what's up? Yeah, uh, you mentioned about an hour ago that uh, about um, the Russian bots all over the place, which I particularly in the last election and Russian, particularly Putin's influence in getting um Trump elected. And it has resulted in the American carnage that you mentioned uh, just a little bit ago. Hopefully we will have a better outcome from the next election. And if so, do we have in place systems or methods to nullify lifetime appointments like for the judiciary and things that executive orders that can be reversed? Yeah, executive orders can be easily reversed. Changes in administrative policies can be reversed. It'll take some time. I mean, it took Trump three years to get us this far. But in terms of the federal judges, that requires judge-by-judge impeachment, and that's probably not going to happen. Mitch McConnell is really, really doing some serious damage to this country. You know, putting 30-year-old right-wing operatives on federal courts with lifetime appointments. Uh, it doesn't get worse than that. And this is going to be, this is going to kneecap the country 
for at least two generations. Hector in Chicago. Hey, Hector, what's on your mind today? Uh, I'm just really worried about the total lack of compassion around this whole COVID-19 virus, how the government and the president are reacting. You know, people are watching their people and their families die, and all they're getting back is some kind of cavalier response that makes no sense at all. He, The man is like addicted to celebrating himself. He has to turn everything into some celebration of himself. I really don't know, but I want to know. I'm really curious about where are all the compassionate voices in this country? You know, I have to rely on what Reverend Barber, Barba and uh, Sonali and different people like that in order to get my compassion fixed, you know, that there are people who actually care about other people. Where are the churches? You know, where are all, all the other churches? Where are the compassionate voices of this country? Joe Stalin once said, Tim, that one death is a tragedy, a million deaths is a statistic. There's a lot of truth to that. He can look at it that way, but I hardly think that, I hardly think that religious, conscientious people uh, think the same way or should. No, well, where I was going with that, with that logic train was, if one death is a tragedy and a million deaths are a statistic, and right now Trump is dealing with 70,000 deaths like they're a statistic, then the way that you break that statistical perspective is by pulling out individual people and saying, here's one of the people who died, here's, who didn't have to die, by I think, um, and what I think is, I think, I think that, that the Democratic Party, the, the campaign, has to like turn its messaging to compassion. Then people will remember that when their families were dying and they were suffering, there was a group of people who had compassion. I agree with you, Tim. Well said. Thank you. Epidemiologists have estimated that if Trump had acted back in January when he was told about the coronavirus coming, rather than on March 16th, which is when he officially said, okay, time to shelter in place. If he had started that in January, 60% of the American COVID deaths would not have happened. 60%. So uh, a, uh, I'm not sure who's behind this, but somebody has put up this uh, incredible website, trumpdeathclock.com. Trumpdeathclock.com. And I don't know if it's updated. Yeah, it's updated minute by minute, apparently. Well, maybe not. It, it says 43,996 people are the, are the number of people who have died as a result of Trump ignoring the problem and doing nothing when he should have been doing something. Check it out. It's worth sharing with your friends. Robin in Kingston, Washington. Hey, Robin, what's up? How are we going to get over Trump? I've got it broken down into two. I think we're going to be able to repair our government and make it even better once he's gone and we get some progressive oh. um, voices. Quickly. That's what I think, the reconstruction. But the other one is a kind of a moral code. I want to give you a short story. Uh, as you might remember, I we're, we're have large displays and banners and stuff like that, and I'd go to where population is. And on July 4th, 2018, I was uh, doing my civil information in front of the parade, the 4th of July parade. And um, my theme that day was feminism. I call it pink. And I was, had a big banner that said, elect and sustain matrilineal uh, governances. 
and four mm-hmm. white male boys in the middle school band went by hollering Trump, 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 and gave me the middle finger. So we have some moral rebuilding to do. Yeah, to say the very least, Robin, thank you for that story. And thanks for the work you're doing out there. Good on you, Robin. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. I normally find bras to be so uncomfortable and constricting, but Skims has changed that. You know I love Skims underwear, so I finally tried their bras, and Skims has delivered again. Skims bras are worth the hype for the amazing shape and support they give, but what I wasn't expecting was how comfortable they are too. I've tried so many bras in the past, and the main issue that I have is that they weren't supportive enough, to the point where they felt slouchy. I love my Skims wireless form bra because it's so comfortable and supportive. The older I get, the more I care about actually being comfortable in what I wear every day. And with my wireless form bra, I no longer have to sacrifice my comfort for the support I need. Shop Skims Bras at Skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A to 46H. Plus, get free shipping on all orders over $75. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select Podcast in the survey, and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. You're listening to Tom Hartman. I talked about the giant griff. In my opinion, it's going to take America at least a decade to recover from this, just like it took us a decade to recover from the right-wing grift in the 1930s. You had Charles Lindbergh and his America First movement, and you had the Nazi Bund, and you had literally hundreds of thousands of people across the United States during the 1930s protesting against the Roosevelt administration. You had the Klan coming out and demonstrating. You had, you know, uh, against integration and some of the programs that FDR was doing. You had the America First movement, 
which was Lindbergh saying that, oh, Hitler's not so bad and we shouldn't boycott Germany. We should be doing business with them and everything's good. There's that spectacular, by the way, HBO piece. If you have an HBO subscription, it's just a six-part movie. It's like a movie in six parts based on a Philip Roth novel. And it's called The Plot Against America. And it's about what happened, what would have happened if in 1940, in the election of 1940, Charles Lindbergh had been elected instead of Franklin Roosevelt. And it is breathtaking. It is so good. But anyhow, so I I was talking about the grift and how long it's going to take us to recover from the damage of these grifters and their fellow traveler billionaires and neo-Nazis. But, or and... Just check out, I mean, the, 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 the cast of characters, these, the, the cast of characters of these grifters is just, just breathtaking. You got people like Roger Marshall. He's a Republican from Kansas. He's a member of the uh, Republican Doctors Caucus. He says, just like Jesus, the poor will always be with us. There's a group of people who just don't want health care. Then they're not going to take care of themselves. Well, maybe, and I would call that group schizophrenics, you know, profoundly mentally incapacitated people, you know, who are in institutions or should be if, you know, if it's appropriate for them. But that's not who he's talking about. He's talking about the poor and the homeless. He says morally, spiritually, socially, the poor, the homeless, they just don't want health care. The Medicaid population, right? This is, this is the, the bottom half of working America. The people who, who earn so little that they don't qualify for Obamacare. So, you know, blue states have expanded Medicaid for them, and a couple of red states have, to give them credit. Most of them have not. The Medicaid population, he says, which is on a free credit card as a group, do probably the least preventative medicine in taking care of themselves and eating healthy and exercising. So there's a group of people that get, even with unlimited access to health care, in other words, anybody can see the ER, right, are only going to use the emergency room when their arm is chopped off or when they have pneumonia so bad they have to go to the ER. This is how these people think. These, these white, wealthy members of the Republican Party, they just figure, oh, you know, poor people are just like inherently stupid or don't want health care or whatever. I mean, it's just, it's crazy. Now, on top of this, we, we find out that the woman who a month or so ago accused Anthony Fauci of sexual assault, remember this? Turns out it was two right-wing provocateurs, Jacob Wall and Jack Berman. She's now saying they paid her. She says, the reality is I've known Jacob since 2018, and he charmed me into taking money to do this. This is Diana Andrade, the woman who said this. They also had me do something like this back in January. And she decided to abandon her claims and try to record incriminating evidence against this pair after he asked her to find another woman to accuse Fauci. He said, let me tell you something, Diana. She's got a nine-minute tape of this. This is the guy paying her to accuse Fauci of sexual assault. This guy shut the country down. He put 40 million people out of work. In a situation like that, you have to make up whatever you have to make up to stop that train. And that's the way life works, okay? That's the way it goes. Mother Nature has to clean the barn every so often. How real is it? Who knows? So what if 1% of the population goes? So what if you lose 400,000 people? 200,000 elderly. The other 200,000 are at the bottom of society. He's talking about poor and black people here. you got to clean the barn. If it's real, it's a positive thing for God's sake. What could go wrong, uh, Diana? You did a good job. You got paid. What's the problem? What seems to be the issue? You're freaking out. You texted me late at night. What's the issue here? Right. This guy's apparently a lawyer. (laughs) And then the Postal Service has picked 
a, uh, a millionaire Trump donor to run the post office. Right. He's one of Trump's top donors. He's one of the Republican Party's top donors. His name is Louis DeJoy. And he's an accomplished business executive in North Carolina. Are we ready to see the post office go away? to the Tom Hartman program. Other grifters now in Arizona. Governor Doug Ducey has assured us that reopening the state, his decision to reopen the state is not based on politics. No wishful thinking. We're going to do this based on data. Well, the the supplier of data is a scientist by the name of Tim Lant. He's an epidemiologist at the uh, Arizona State University. Lant and his team were notified that, quote, their services are no longer needed and that not only that, they'll be cut off from access to state data they need to continue their modeling, end quote. The guy reporting about this for the Arizona Republic said about Ducey, he's got a president up for re-election who desperately wants to reopen the country, a party that's leaning on him to reopen the state, and a team of university scientists who are cautioning him to go slow. Guess which one landed in the ditch this week? Meanwhile, the grifters around Donald Trump are doing just fine. I get a fundraiser almost every day from the Trump campaign. There's got to be a whole bunch of old you know, folks out there who are watching Fox News and are barely hanging on, but they've got some good retirement money who have given him $10,000, $20,000, $100,000, way beyond the limit. It's, it's got to be a pile of them. Because Brad Parscale, the guy who's running his campaign, he's raked in $38.9 million bucks. Garrett Lansing, who started out as a staffer for the RNC, he's taken in $1.7 million. This is from Huffington Post. The headline, win or lose, Trump's top campaign aides are raking in the cash. Katie Walsh, who was a White House aide for Donald Trump and a RNC chief of staff, she's gotten $877,000. Richard Walters, 30 years old, the current chief of staff for the RNC, he makes $244,000 a year. But last year, he was paid an additional 135000 And since the Trump began, presidency began, this 30-year-old has taken a total of $755,000. Parscale, the guy who's running Trump's campaign, has just bought a $2.4 million waterfront house in Fort Lauderdale, a pair of million-dollar condos, a brand-new $400,000 boat, and another half-million dollars in luxury cars, including a Ferrari. Republican consultant Stuart Stevens says, This thing has been a large criminal enterprise, dishing out furs to mob bosses, girlfriends, and wives. Yeah, it appears that way. So, how long do you think this is going to last, and how is this all going to play out? Brandon in Gross Point, Michigan. Hey, Brandon, says you're a Trump supporter. What, uh, what, what are your thoughts on this? Well, I think this is going to last for a long time, but... A friend of mine the other day told me that she thinks that Trump should be signing the death certificates instead of the checks that he didn't want to give people anyway. And I agreed. Oh, my. Um, The only thing is, is that were I to die, my ashes would be rolling around like jelly beans if I knew he had anything to do with signing anything of mine. (laughs) Yeah, there is that problem. um, I think this is going to go on for a long, long time. This country is so divided. People that love each other are in absolutely realms of hate right now, and it's just ridiculous, even in a small town. Give me an example. Well, you know, we live in a red area, and mm-hmm. people up here think that it's a hoax. They believe Trump. They're not wearing masks. Very few people are taking this seriously. It's just like right. we only have two cases, but they don't think it's coming. 
they're crazy. Well, he really and truly believes, and, and you know, he's, he's actually said this out loud, that he won't get reelected if the economy doesn't get back to normal. What he said yesterday was that he didn't want the economy to get back to CDC normal. He didn't want restaurants to have to operate at 50% capacity or theaters or airlines, you know, keep middle seats open. He doesn't want any of that stuff to happen because it will reduce the profitability. In some cases, for a lot of restaurants, it'll reduce the viability. I mean, it'll literally force them out of business at current prices. So they would have to, yeah, and I'm guessing what we're going to see is, you know, safe restaurants, the restaurants with social distancing and all that kind of stuff, and maybe once we've got test kits, will be raising their prices, you know, and, yeah, you know, people yeah. will pay to go out and it's going to become a luxury thing. But, you know, so there's going to be changes in this all. But, but Trump says he doesn't want to see any of those changes. He wants to see everything the way it was, knowing, I mean, he's had the best, literally the best scientists in the world tell him if we did that, you're going to have a couple million, several million dead Americans, and you're going to have tens of millions of wounded Americans, people who got the COVID, got really, really sick, survived it, and now for the rest of their lives, they're going to have COPD, or they're going to have kidney damage, or they're going to have liver disease. You just shave 10, 20 years off their lives. You know, it's at literally millions of American lives will be like that. But Donald Trump is willing to pay that price to get the economy open. The problem, I think, that he's going to confront in this, Denise, and the problem they're going to confront is that people aren't going to play his game. I mean, they, you right. know, the entire city of Portland could open tomorrow. And I would be surprised if 10% of the population went out and made use of that. Right. And I think even those people, those idiots in Michigan holding the Confederate flags and with their long guns, a lot of them had masks on. So tell me they don't believe yeah. something's going on. You know, it's, it's just... Well, it's, it's a lot of those people wore masks before, you know, the, before there was any COVID. They, they just didn't want to be identified because they were ashamed of their, their racism or embarrassed or, you know, they oh, didn't want true. mommy to see what they were up to. So, that's I mean, true. they're basically cowards, these people. That's, that's why yeah. they're carrying guns. They're frightened. They're cowards. So, you, you know, know we, that need, re- we need that, to have some compassion re- for them, I suppose. That lawyer that you talked about earlier that said something about Jesus and the poor... Mm-hmm. Well, I think he needs. That wasn't to read- a lawyer. That was a legislator. Okay, a legislator. He needs to read Psalm seventy-three, and okay. that would open his eyes. Psalm seventy-three talks about all these wicked people and what they're doing to oppress the poor. Oh, interesting. I'll I'll have to check that out. It's been a long time since I've read Psalm seventy-three. Thank you, Denise. Great to hear from you, and have a marvelous day. Well, our Trump defender dropped off the line before Joyce could get to him. That's unfortunate. We'll be right back. When these rare Trump defenders get up enough courage to call in and actually stay on the line long enough to put on, you know, Louise used to answer the phone and she she would tell me stories about how they call up and and yell and scream obscenities at her and stuff like that. And she'd say, well, you want to go on the air? You know, if you can't, if you can avoid swearing and they go, no, 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 I don't want to do that. And, you know, literally nine out of 10 of them, they just want to yell at the call screener. Then the rare one that you do get on, you know, I feel like a cat playing with a mouse when I get these on. So, you know, if you're a Trump defender, feel free to call in. Les in Tacoma. Hey, Les, thanks. What's on your mind today? It's been on my mind for many generations in my family. Capitalism is the financing of the mental illness of white supremacy. At least the way that it's constructed right now in the United States. Absolutely. Yeah, and at this time, white folks are welcome to join in the battle for survival of those, you know, 
negatively being affected by the system of greedy capitalists, uh, you know, working to finance the mental illness of white supremacy. You talk about the grifting. Well, we have the perfect example of those grifters in the White House and involved in our governance. And it's not just the Republican Party. Democrats are just as equally guilty through generations. They're nowhere near equally guilty, Les. You've got half the Democratic Party are members of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. They're not taking corporate money. They're they're advocating good positions. Yes, there are some Democrats. In fact, one of them in Illinois just got voted out of office in the primary. But there are some corrupt that's your, Democrats. That's your I'll opinion. That, but it, Excuse me, sir. Yeah, it, it's, it's not just opinion. my opinion, unless it's opinion. backed by actual well, facts. Let me give you one fact to start uh, out. About half of all the Democrats in Congress. Les, this isn't Fox News. Stop talking for a minute, and I'll let you talk when I'm done. About half the Democrats in Congress at the federal level are members of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. They take progressive positions. There is no Republican, not one Republican. That does what? who takes any kind of progressive positions. You're saying all the Democrats are as corrupt as the Republicans. I'm, I'm calling bull on well, that. See, hold, hold on a second. See, you wouldn't let me finish my point. My point is that this outside of uh, our governance and the Republican and Democratic parties, there's a thing called wealth. Wealth has been established through generations of ill-gotten. It started with slavery. It started, it's the white male land ownership that the Constitution represents. And that's more than just Republicans and Democrats. It is white supremacy, which... I've already agreed with you on that. I didn't get to finish my point. And I've listened to your show for years. I respect your opinions and, you know, the facts that you represent. But we are... I'm a black man. We have lived for generations dealing with these situations. We currently have white mobs invading capital state capital buildings loaded with weapons and police not doing anything yeah i i completely agree with you and, Les, and, and i think that that's and, the and, ultimate yeah. statement of white of white supremacy and white privilege i've made so, that point yeah. numerous times but to attack the democratic party you know if you want to attack capitalists or people who have some money fine uh but you know, I, I think that we need to change the rules of capitalism to make it to make it work for everyone. Les, I got to run, but thank you for the call. Listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.